Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 4 of The Friendly Dungeon Master. I am your host and narrator, The Friendly Dungeon Master. This podcast follows the exploits of a group of adventurers as they traverse the land of Talaris, a vibrant landscape filled with political intrigue, terrifying monsters, ancient cults, and a pantheon of deities struggling to regain their power in the world. In the last episode, Winfred Gwynevere, the elven druid, had managed to broker a peace between a rogue goblin and the villagers of Brindor. It was decided by the village elder, Balgus Stonehand, and his wife, Thelga, that Larks the Goblin would live in the village, making his way as he saw fit, and proving himself to be an upstanding member of their community. He was given a job and a place to stay, and as a token of his gratitude, sent Winfred in pursuit of some interesting items he had noticed while in his cave. While searching the cave, Winfred managed to find a magical scroll in addition to a bag of holding. Inside the bag of holding were two potions, another scroll, and a brass ring. She elected to examine these items at a later date, or to find a mage who could identify them for her. We resume our adventure as Winfred is stirring, her meditative trance completed, as she continues her long trek toward the capital city of Talim. It was another fine day in northern Talaris. The sun was shining upon the elf's face as she strode along the pathway, catching sight of the great mountain peaks of the Hath Range far to the west, its craggy silhouette outlined against a brightening sky as the sun rose and cast a warm glow on the world. The air smelled faintly of wet grass and trees, with an occasional note of horse, as she met other travelers along the road. That was getting more common, she noted, the closer she neared her destination. Winfred had been traveling towards Talim for many days now, coming from the far south of the continent of Talaris. She traveled by foot, having no mount, but she preferred it that way. She was in no real hurry, and appreciated the opportunity to take in the sights and experiences the open road had to offer. While she walked, Winfred decided to take the scroll she had found in the cave out of her bag of holding. Placing her hand inside the pouch, she concentrated on the scroll and felt it materialize in her hand. She stepped off the road a ways and unfurled the scroll, removing the small red strap keeping it sealed. As she unfurled the parchment, the paper began to glow a bright white, then subsided, resolving itself into an image Winfred had never seen before. The image was that of an upraised fist, encircled with a series of draconic runes. Winfred's experience with arcane magic was limited, but she definitely recognized the runes as arcane in nature, though she had difficulty deciphering them. She would need to have this investigated further as well. While she was here, she figured she might as well check the other scroll that had been contained within the bag of holding when she found it. She placed the magical scroll back into the bag, taking care to seal it with the red string again, and concentrated on the other scroll. She pulled it from the bag and began unfurling it. No light greeted her this time. This seemed to be a simple scroll. Indeed, there was writing on it. The language was common, but it was an archaic form of the tongue. She read it with a bit of difficulty, and it read, Tyrus, we are nearing the end of our journey. The road has been long, but our destiny nears. We are seeking shelter from the weather in a cave at the moment. Everything is in place, and I expect that we shall see you soon with news of our success. I shall contact you soon for further instructions. The scroll was signed, The Brotherhood of the Vestige. Winfred turned the scroll over, searching for any more writing, but none was visible. She held the scroll in front of her and pulled out the magical scroll again. 
Unfurling it as well, the light flashed again, and as it did, she caught the faintest glimmer of ink in the blank spaces on the letter. Excitedly, she rolled up the magical scroll again, then unrolled it. She held the mundane scroll directly over the magical one, and as the light flashed, she could just make out the words, I am carrying the teleportation scroll. In the case of an emergency, I will come to you. Next to the newly revealed writing was a hand-drawn representation of the same sigil that Winfred had seen on the magical scroll, with the words, The Brotherhood of the Vestige, underneath it. Winfred rolled both scrolls up and tried to remember if she had ever heard anything about the Brotherhood of the Vestige. She recalled some fragments of stories she had been told many years ago, almost like ghost stories or folk tales. There had once been a group of people who called themselves the Brotherhood of the Vestige, who had sought to bring the demons back to life after they had been destroyed, along with the gods, in the Cataclysm War. She didn't know anything about them, other than that they had not been around for many hundreds of years. Winfred felt that she had just stumbled onto a very important piece of history, and she was keen to find out more. She pressed on toward Talim, more eager now than ever to reach somewhere with more answers to her ever-growing list of questions. As she traveled, Winfred mused on the conversation that had led her to journey towards the great city in the first place. Her mentor and adopted father, Torlmain Rossiman, had been adamant that she seek information in Talim. She thought back to that day, almost three months past. In her mind, she was back in the shaded glen she had grown familiar with as she underwent her druidic training under Rossiman. The elderly druid had spoken then of her four adopted siblings, each one left an orphan, much like Winfred, when the orcs had ransacked their village. The brutes had left none alive, save for Torlmain and five children, whom he had sheltered in a hidden underground bunker. The screams that permeated the earthen door still haunted Winfred's dreams. Torlmain had taken it upon himself to raise the children and to teach them the ways of the druids. All five students had turned out to be extremely adept, Winfred the most of all. She had a passion for learning and would stay up long into the wee hours of the morning, practicing her forms and spells. She became an accomplished fighter, both with sword and staff, and proved particularly skilled at manipulating natural energies to harness the power of the elements. As time went on, Torlmain's teachings of the druidic axioms of balance and equity in all elements of nature began to fall on deaf ears. Winfred's siblings each began to gravitate towards separate elemental forces. Chatil Elsendil, a young, reserved girl with whom Winfred had conversed very little, began to embrace the powers of Earth. She would spend long hours encased in a dome of rock, meditating, communing with the land, ignoring chores and other elemental trainings. Borel Evenwind, a handsome elf a couple of years older than Winfred, found that his easygoing nature and natural adaptivity lent itself to an easy manipulation of water. He began spending more and more time underwater, giving himself gills so that he could remain submerged for hours at a time. He began to grow obsessive about the elemental plane of water, consuming any material he could find on the subject. The element of fire proved to be the penchant of Tyron Kesar, Winfred's only true friend among the other children. She and Winfred were much the same age and looked similar enough that they could have passed for twins. Tyron was a feisty redhead, much like Winfred, but much more confident and outgoing. She made friends with the local children easily and amused adults with her fire manipulation. Her obsession with fire soon became her singular focus, however, to the exclusion of all else, save her companion, 
Olena Viseria, the final girl to join the druid children. Olena was competent with all elements of nature, but her flighty personality and tendency to wander led her to embrace the element of air as her preferred element. She and Tyron became close friends, then more, as they grew up together, all under the watchful eye of Torlmane. The elderly druid was a fair teacher, paying no one student more attention than the other. He was a much better teacher than he was a father, however, and his favoritism of Winfred quickly became apparent in situations outside of training. Torlmane had no children of his own, and did the best he could, but was unable to steer the other four druids in a path that led to balance, the core tenet of the druid's teachings. All things must remain in balance, he explained. Leaning too heavily toward one element or another could upset the natural order of the world, and it is the job of the druids to keep the world balanced and operating properly. Where the elements are unbalanced, chaos reigns and must be set right. These teachings sank deep into Winfred, and she embraced these ideas wholeheartedly. The other children did not, and ended up, one by one, leaving Torlmane and his teachings of equity behind. Torlmane did not chase after his adopted children, choosing instead to let them learn the ways of the world on their own. They would see, he reasoned, they would see that balance was essential for life to continue peacefully. Apparently, he had been wrong. Winfred and Torlmane had caught rumblings of places in Talaris where the elements had become unbalanced. Great earthquakes shook the ground where none had done so previously. Volcanoes had begun erupting from long dormant mountains. Floods destroyed crops on arid bluffs, and the wind grew so strong in places that it would sweep a grown man off his feet. These stories had reached the ears of Torlmane, and so he had sent Winfred out on a quest to find her siblings. She was to speak with each of them, bringing them back into the fold, instill in them the importance of balance, and if necessary, end their corrupting influence on the balance of the world. That had been almost six months ago. She had traveled to a few port cities, seeking word of her druidic kin. None had been through there. So she had set out for Talim, as Torlmane had recommended. There, she hoped, she would find some answers about her family. Lost in thought, Winfred continued along the road, ignoring other travelers and the scenery around her until, with a jolt, she realized that it was well past midday and that she was absolutely ravenous. She started to move off the road to set up a small fire to cook lunch, but noticed a fork in the road ahead. One fork continued north, the other east. As her eyes followed the eastern fork, she noticed smoke coming from chimneys and could faintly hear the bustling of a town going about its day. She decided to have a real meal for the first time in a few days and set out for the village of Woodbend as indicated by the wooden sign at the fork. Drawing on her knowledge of the region, she gathered that she was now roughly two days away from Talim on foot. Heartened, she strode into Woodbend seeking food and in a town this size, possibly a local wizard who could identify her items for her. Entering the outskirts of the city, Winfred began to search for a place where she could find a decent meal and a place to rest for the evening. She came upon an inn that looked as though it was in need of some paint, but seemed serviceable enough for her purposes. The Dancing Tree was a hybrid tavern and inn, as most were in small villages, with the tavern occupying the lower level and rooms for rent on the upper floor. She strode in and procured a room for the evening, along with ordering a meal for herself. A hearty stew of vegetables and spices was given to her by the young halfling serving boy, as well as a small loaf of crusty bread. 
The stew was hot and a bit heavy on the spices, but the bread was excellent. Her meal finished, Winfred set out to find the local mage. Her experience with towns the size of Woodbend had taught her that there was almost always a local wizard or sorcerer plying some sort of trade, whether it be the sale of magical items and enchantments, or using their magic to aid the townsfolk in exchange for room and board. Sure enough, as she made her way down the main thoroughfare of the town, she spotted a sizable home with a large assortment of vials and potions in the windows. The building bore no name, but the door was open and Winfred spotted a few people coming and going from the establishment with various items. She approached the open door and knocked on the frame. Immediately, she was met with the face of a silver-scaled, dragonborn woman. The woman was clad in beautiful purple and gold robes that draped across her slender form in voluminous waves. Every finger was covered in rings, and she sported multiple piercings, some in her brow ridges, some studs along the slits of her nostrils, and even her horns were pierced through with gold, silver, and brass rings and chains. The jewelry made no sound as the dragonborn woman eyed Winfred up and down, then smiled a broad smile. Yes, my dear. How may I assist you? Begging your pardon, madam. But might this be a place where I could have some items of a magical nature identified? Why, of course. That is one of the many services I provide here. Welcome to my humble shop. I am Elena Raist, purveyor of the Eccentricities and Oddities Emporium. Please, do come in. Tea? Coffee? Something a bit stronger? Oh, coffee, if you please. The road has been long, Madam Elena. Elena snapped her fingers as she lowered herself leisurely into a comfortable-looking chair. She gestured for Winfred to take the seat opposite her, a large, plush affair, adorned with sequined cushions and an intricately woven throw draped across it. Winfred sat demurely, not lounging as the dragonborn woman did, but sitting upright and straight-backed. At the snap of Elena's fingers, one of her rings jingled slightly, and a nervous-looking human boy, looking to be in his teenage years, appeared from a side door. He bowed as he approached, his long black robe brushing the floor. The hood of the robe flopped up as he bowed, and he hastily readjusted it as he straightened. Y y yes, Madame Elena. Dexter, please fetch myself and Miss... Winfred. Winfred Gwynevere. Pleased to meet you, Dexter. Coffee, Dexter. Please fetch myself and Miss Winfred here. Some coffee. Do you think you can manage that today? Dexter flushed at the jibe, and bowed again as he hurried away into yet another side door. Winfred could hear dishes rattling from behind the door as it closed, and Elena sighed and pinched the bridge of her serpentine snout between two clawed fingers. I swear to the High Keeper that is the last time I take in an apprentice without a probationary period. She seemed to realize she was speaking aloud and right at herself, smiling again at Winfred, revealing razor-sharp, gleaming white teeth. It was mildly unsettling, if Winfred was honest with herself. She forced herself to return the smile, however, and the two began to talk business. Winfred presented Elena with the items she had found, starting with the ring. Elena took the ring gently. She held it in one hand as the other began drawing some arcane patterns in the air above the ring. Her eyes flashed an electric blue, then returned to their normal, greenish color as she lowered her empty hand. Before I tell you what you have here, there is the matter of payment. 
Identifying a single item is 50 silver, please. Winfred handed the coin over, and Elena revealed that the ring was one of spell storing. She explained how the item worked, as well as revealing that it already had a spell stored inside of it, a spell of call lightning. Elena returned the ring to Winfred as she finished her explanation, and Winfred placed the ring back into her bag of holding. Winfred was about to bring out the magical scroll she had found, but decided to have the strange potion identified first. Elena identified this as a potion of Stone Giant's strength. Payment was made again, and Dexter returned to the sides of the pair with their coffees. Elena dismissed him with a wave, and the young apprentice scurried away again. Winfred sipped her coffee, finding that it was surprisingly good. She had been expecting it to be mediocre, given Elena's apparent disdain for the young man. Regardless, she finally presented Elena with the magical scroll she had discovered. Elena took the scroll with a confused expression on her face. As she removed the ribbon and opened the parchment, however, her expression, lit by the sudden flash of light, darkened visibly. Her eyes narrowed to slits as she began to mutter in draconic, her eyes darting frantically back and forth along the text in front of her. As Elena's eyes ceased their rapid movement, they traveled up the scroll, then over it, to meet the gaze of the elven druid sitting across from her. She breathed deeply, then began rolling the parchment back up. She leaned forward as she affixed the binding string back onto the scroll, and her voice was low when she spoke. Where did you find this? This scroll? It is ancient. It speaks of an organization long forgotten and best left that way. How did it come to be in your possession? Winfred explained to Elena how she had found the scroll. When she got to the part about the group of skeletons in the cave, Elena arched one brow ridge. She seemed to believe Winfred's story, however, and leaned in again as she glanced about the room, making sure that they were out of earshot of any other patrons. This scroll speaks of the Brotherhood of the Vestige. That is their original name, though most history books I've found simply call them The Vestige. I have never seen physical evidence of their presence, though I am vaguely familiar with their deeds. Terrible deeds, to be sure. The Vestige were a cult of necromancers, thieves, assassins, and power-hungry mages that formed centuries ago. Their primary goal, at least as far as anyone has been able to discern, was always to bring the Elder Demons back into the world. The Vestige believed that the gods and demons were not mutually destroyed in the Cataclysm War. It was their belief that both sides simply managed to seal one another in another plane of existence far beyond the material. The cult thought that if they could manage to break the gate between our plane and the one of the demons' exile, they would be rewarded with power and knowledge that they would rule alongside whatever hellish entities they released upon the world. To this end, they employed no small amount of necromantic magics, and it was this that eventually led to their downfall. 250 years ago, the Vestige sought to claim Talim as their own. It makes sense, really, with Talim being the political and economic center of power in Talaris. They took the king's eldest son in the night, murdered him, and reanimated his corpse with powerful necromancy. They then sent this puppet, entirely under their control, 
back to Talim with fanciful tales of how he had conquered the vestige and stopped their plans. The king fell for the story for a time, until a single mage saw through the deception. It is not known how Narmak Jessil, now the High Keeper of the Flame of Talim, discovered the vestige's treachery, and much of that struggle is lost to history. But the end result was that the king was forced to destroy the living corpse of his eldest child. From that tragedy, much of Talim's defenses of today were born. King Berwin decreed that all members of the Vestige were to be hunted and executed on sight. Thus began a great purge of necromancy from the lands of Talaris. As far as anyone knows, all members of the cult were eradicated thanks to the efforts of King Berwin. The Vestige have not been seen or heard from since. Indeed, very few history books even mention them anymore. The king was determined to wipe all traces of their existence from the world, including any information that might lead to their resurgence. What you have here is possibly the only surviving communication between two members of that ancient order. It appears to be a teleportation scroll, one that will transport the reader to a predetermined location upon use. I do not know the end destination, but if I had to guess, I would wager that it once led to a stronghold in the Vauban mountain range. This fortress was discovered during the purge and destroyed, including a teleportation sigil found there. This must have been an emergency use scroll, a quick getaway for any member caught in a tight spot. It is worthless as a spell, but the historical knowledge is invaluable. How much do you want for this? Elena's eyes glittered as she looked at Winford, her expression restrained but visibly excited. She waited for Winford's response to her question. The elf looked at the scroll, then her eyes met Elena's once more. She told the mage that she did not know much of arcane magics, but that she would like to hold on to the scroll for now. She didn't know why, but she felt that she needed to keep this with her. She told Elena that she was venturing into Talim, and that she would like to take this to the Flame Keepers there, to see what information they might have regarding its proper disposal or storage. As Winfred mentioned the Flame Keepers, Elena's expression softened. She remarked to Winfred that she had once been a Flame Keeper. In fact, she had been Fourth Keeper, one of the most esteemed positions within the Order. She had retired almost ten years ago, leaving her position open to her hand-picked successor, and she and her husband had come to live in Woodbend. Sadly, her husband had passed away two years ago, but life moved on, and Elena was continuing to honor his memory by keeping the shop running. It was his pet project, she explained wistfully, looking about the room at the wares hanging from the walls and adorning the window sills. She sighed as her gaze fell back onto Winfred, and she spoke softly. I miss that big city sometimes. The adventure, the busy streets, crowded with folks all living their own lives. I would very much like to visit it again sometime. At this, Winford brightened. She needed a guide in Talim, and who better than one who had occupied one of the highest stations in the entire city? She excitedly proposed to Elena that they be partners, 
Wenford would leave the research of the scroll to Elena, and Elena could show Wenford around the city, helping her to gather information on her druidic kin. The elf was very persuasive, and Elena found herself nodding in agreement before she had even finished speaking. The two smiled at one another and began making preparations for their departure. Elena would need time to see that the shop was properly cared for while she was gone, she explained. It should take no more than three days, she assured Winfred. Eager to be off, Winfred decided that she would head to Talim on her own and wait for Elena there. She asked the Dragonborn for a recommendation for a place to stay, to which Elena responded that the Bluebill Tavern and Inn was one of the best establishments in the entire city for a reasonable sum. The two women were finalizing their arrangements for Elena to meet with Winfred in Talim when they both heard a commotion outside. The sound of a small young voice screaming and crying came through the door, which had been shut against the den of the streets outside. Winfred flung the door open and was greeted with the sight of a crowd gathered around a small body in the middle of the street. She rushed forward, running toward the unmoving child. She pushed others out of the way, Elena close behind her. A young boy, eight or so years old, lay on his back, surrounded by townsfolk. One side of his face was covered in blood, and his eyes were closed. Winfred determined that he was still breathing, though unconscious, and was preparing her herbalism kit when Elena knelt down, taking the boy's head in her lap. The dragonborn pulled a small glass vial from her side pocket, uncorking it as she did so. Tilting the boy's head up, she poured the contents of the vial down his throat, then massaged his throat and chest, causing him to swallow reflexively. The lad's eyes shot open, even as the cut above his brow began to knit closed. He immediately grasped the front of Elena's robes tightly. Papa! Where is Papa? Calm, child. What happened to you and your Papa? Orcs! Orcs on the road! They grabbed me! Papa tried to push him away, but they hit him! Dropped me and I hit my head! I ran away as fast as I could! As the boy finished speaking, Winfred noticed two armored guards standing nearby, looking at the boy as he finished his story. One stepped forward, addressing the child. Bryce, I need you to tell me where you and your papa were. Can you show me where the orcs attacked you? The boy nodded and climbed to his feet unsteadily. He promptly flopped back down as his legs gave way, and he looked up at the guard with tear-streaked cheeks. We was up near the fort, where the big white trees end. They came out of the woods there. The guard who Winfred now noticed bore a captain's insignia on his pauldrons, turned to the crowd and began to shout. I need every able-bodied soldier and hunter to gather in the town square immediately. As you know, the town guard is short-staffed at the moment, so I need volunteers to help us find these bastards and get Bryce's father back. Nobody hurts one of our own and gets away with it. Who's with me? The captain finished speaking, and a few men from the crowd carrying pitchforks and sickles stepped forward. They offered their assistance, and with the help of a few children as messengers, the guards of Woodbend stood side by side with around twelve townsfolk. Two of them carried longbows and looked as if they knew how to use them. Dexter also joined the group, as Elena still tended to the boy Bryce. Winfred had already made the decision to help as soon as she had heard the word orcs. Together, the guards, villagers, Dexter, and Winfred made their way toward where Bryce had said the attack had happened. They found the spot in the tree line easily enough, finding a small trail of blood leading into the forest from the road. Winfred let the villagers take the lead, keeping her eye out for Bryce's father as they traveled along, 
She stepped through a small cluster of trees, then heard a faint whimper. She whirled around searching for the source and spotted the outline of a body lying a ways off. She carefully made her way to the figure, discovering that it was a middle-aged man with very similar features to the young boy she had just seen run into the village. His sandy brown hair fell in curls much like his son's, and he was awake, but barely. One hand grasped the side of his shirt, clutching a deep gash in his midsection. Winford could see that the man was bleeding out and needed tending to immediately. She tore off a long strip of the man's shirt and bound it around the wound tightly, then fished in her bag of holding for the healing potion she had in there. She felt the vial appear, pulled it out, uncorked it, and poured it into the man's mouth. He drank gratefully and she watched as his breathing eased, the tension on his face slowly melting away. He moved his hand from his side and she saw that the blood flow had stopped. He would be fine. She quickly told him that his son Bryce had made it to town and was waiting for him. The man stumbled to his feet, thanked her, and made his way back toward the village. Winford continued forward, following the path left by the villagers through the trees. Before long, she heard the sounds of fighting. Rushing forward, she leapt into a clearing in time to see a group of orc bandits engaged in a bloody struggle with the villagers. Two villagers lay slain, large crossbow bolts sticking from them, and three more were wounded and out of the fight. The guards had formed a line in front of the remaining villagers, save the two archers. They were nowhere to be seen on the ground. Winford quickly assessed the situation, feeling her emotions well up inside her. This was going to be fun. Despite being well-armed, the orcs were not well-trained, and so they were completely caught by surprise when a tall, red-haired elven woman appeared, leaping over the line of guards into the midst of three orcs. As she landed, Winford threw both hands out to her sides, blasting all three orcs with a thunder wave spell. The blue shockwave rippled out from her hands like a tidal wave, sending two of the orcs flying backward, landing on the ground. One orc was caught between Winford and the line of guards, however, and as he flew backwards from the force of her spell, he gasped in pain and surprise as the tip of a spear jutted from the center of his chest. Wasting no time, Winford wheeled around and moved toward one of the fallen orcs. Her attention was momentarily diverted, however, as a crossbow bolt flew by her head. She looked up to see a familiar face. Pointed ears, yellow eyes, and a toothy grin brought back memories of two nights prior. This was the same half-orc that she had allowed to escape. This was the rest of his camp, then. She wouldn't let him get away twice, she vowed. One of the guards broke off from the line to finish off the downed orc that Winford had blasted, and she finally saw the two archers up in trees opposite one another. They rained arrows down upon two other orcs, felling them quickly. The half-orc grabbed a companion, which also looked to be of mixed heritage, and began to back away from the fight. As the two turned to run, Winford shouted to the archers to take them down. She muttered a few words under her breath, then began twirling her hand at her side, her fingers entwining around some invisible thread. She opened her palm and shot her hand forward as she finished the spell's incantation, and a thorny vine shot forth from the ground, cracking it open as it appeared. The thorn whip lashed out, grabbing the half-orc and dragging him towards the druid. As the whip tightened around his body, the jagged thorns cut deep into the orc's flesh, causing him to cry out in pain. The whip rocketed the man's body toward Winford, where she waited with her sword out. Simultaneously, two more orcs, who had been keeping back from the fighting, turned to run. They were ferocious fighters, but self-preservation was paramount. As the two began to flee, an explosion erupted at their feet, engulfing the two in a raging ball of fire. 
As the initial blast dissipated, the two charred corpses slumped lifelessly to the ground. From behind the line of guards, Dexter Windholm grinned beneath a sweating brow. He lowered his outstretched hand and began seeking another target. The guards stood their ground, protecting the townsfolk and Dexter as the two archers gave chase to the fleeing remainder of the bandit camp. Winfred stood, willing the vine she controlled to bring her quarry closer. As it did so, she kept her blade at her side, perpendicular to the ground. As the vine pulled the half-orc closer, the tip of her sword pierced his chest. The vine slowly pulled the bandit onto the blade, his breath a ragged gasp as the life left his body. He fell, as Winfred pulled her blade free and dropped the thorn whip spell. The druid cleaned her blade and joined the rest of the villagers as they tended to their wounded. They placed the bodies onto litters and began the slow march back to Woodbend. The bandits had been routed, but not without taking their toll. Some were injured, others worse, but the day was theirs, and Winfred felt grim satisfaction at ridding the world of a few more orcs. The creatures she saw in her nightmares were terrifying still, but she was growing stronger. One day soon, she would have a power that they would tremble to behold. One day soon, she would find the band that had destroyed her life. One day, Winfred Gwynevere, orphaned daughter of the Galeshi Druids, would have her vengeance. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Friendly Dungeon Master, Orcs and Dragonborn. Tune in next week to find out more about Elena Raced, the city of Talim, and be there as Winfred encounters an old friend. It's starting to look more like a party next week on the Friendly Dungeon Master, Episode 5, Enter the Halfling. As we continue this adventure, please remember to leave a review on iTunes and Google Play if you enjoy the podcast, and as always, the episodes are available to download from SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Follow me on Twitter at Metal underscore Scarecrow. Send me an email at masteroftalaris at gmail.com. That's T-E-L-A-R-I-S at gmail.com. Follow along with the companion blog at scarecrow2407.wixsite.com slash thefriendlydm. And find our Facebook page at The Friendly Dungeon Master. All music used in this podcast was composed and recorded by Melissa Elliott and is used under the CC-BY 4.0 license. Until next time, thank you so much for your support, and remember to keep it friendly.